Did you hear about the chicken launcher? It seems that the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has a unique device for testing the strength of windshields on airplanes. The device is a gun that was developed by Texas A&M. It's a true story. And basically, it launches a dead chicken at a windshield at approximately the speed that the plane flies. The thinking on this is that if the windshield doesn't crack, that it basically has proven safety for a true live contact when in flight with a live bird. Well, the British were very, very interested in this particular chicken launcher because they had a high-speed train that they needed to check its windshield. So they borrowed one from the FAA, those chicken launchers, and they loaded a chicken, and they fired, and this is what happened. The ballistic chicken shattered the windshield. It went through the engineer's chair, through it. It broke an instrument panel and embedded itself in the back wall of the engine cab. Well, the British were stunned. I mean, what happened? So they asked the FAA to recheck the test to see if everything was done correctly. The FAA reviewed the test thoroughly and just had one recommendation. Quote, use a thawed chicken. Those guys really laid an egg, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that kind of fried them. I'm for sure they were scrambled in their thinking. So in life, it is really easy kind of to miss the obvious point, is it not? I mean, it's easy to miss the most important issue. We Christians do it all the time, and that's why God warns us repeatedly in the Scripture to not miss the most important issue of our hearts, of our hearts. Husbands really can't verbally trash their wives or pretend it will make no difference spiritually because God warns you in 1 Peter chapter 3, your prayers will be hindered. In fact, believers can't gather for corporate worship when they're angry at another Christian in our midst because Jesus says, Matthew 5, leave your offering there before the altar, before you worship, and go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Christians can't serve in church while refusing to deal with sin in their life because Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He'll not hear. God is very concerned about us keeping short accounts, having healthy hearts. And a healthy heart is one that is submissive, it's obedient, and it's willing to do whatever God asks of us. It's never a perfect heart, but it's a heart that is willing. And God wants our hearts to be warm and tender and alive to Him, not frozen, hard, and worst of all, indifferent to Him. Jesus warns you in Matthew 15a, look at your outline, this people honors me with their lips, but their what? Their heart is far away from me. That's a warning. And like using a frozen chicken, each of us can miss one important detail. We can look really good on the outside, but have an indifferent or frozen heart on the inside. And today I want to x-ray the difference between a healthy Christian 
and an unhealthy Christian. The same difference between a healthy church and an unhealthy church. Why, why would I do that today? Just a one special message, and then next week we're going to get to our study of the end times. And that is because today, church life is going to be harder than ever in our culture. Because we're still on a wagon train, settled into our permanent base of operation. And because what makes us a church is not a stadium, it's not a gym, it's not a tent or a building, it's a heart-driven people. A people who love the Lord with all their heart. Church is not a building. It's a body. A church is not a place. It's a people. And our health will not be determined by a, a hot, odd address, but a holy assembly. So ask yourself, are you moving towards commitment to Christ or are you cruising? Are you dreaming about ways to exalt Christ, or are you just dreaming about getting life to be easier? Are you hoping to be more fruitful for Christ, or are you just looking for more fun and friends? What you need to pursue are those basic commitments of the Christian life. They're so basic, they're almost insulting, and yet they're absolutely essential for you to have a healthy heart. So I've made those up for you today by way of review, by way of challenge, and by way of examining ourselves and x-raying, hey, how am I doing in cultivating a healthy heart? Number one in your outline, trust in the sufficiency of Christ for all your spiritual needs. Trust in the sufficiency of Christ. When someone doesn't trust the sufficiency of Christ, they, they look to a familiar form. They, they start looking for outside input or relationships or events to fill the hole in their heart. Sometimes they'll look in the past and they'll say, well, I grew in a Sunday school class, so I need a Sunday school class to grow. Or they'll say, I, I, I was saved in a choir, so I need a choir in which to grow. And yet the Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches that you have everything you need to live life for pleasing the Lord and to live a godly life and in every element of life. You don't need a program. You don't need an event. You don't need a structure. You don't need another relationship to become what God wants you to become. We can be content. We can be full. We can be satisfied in Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? We can. Read aloud with me God's promise, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us how much? Say it. What? How much? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. And do you know what it means, the Greek word everything? What does the Greek word everything mean? No, it means all. 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 Nothing left out. Nothing more needed. Complete, sufficient, abundant. In fact, Ephesians 1.3 says the same thing. In Him, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that He's going to finish what He started in you if you're His child. Philippians 1.6, He began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. All these verses together ask one crucial question. You might want to write it down for further discussion. Are you ready? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Can he satisfy your deepest desire? Does he fill your life to overflowing? Is his love enough to satisfy your need? Does his person quench the deepest longings of your heart? Simply, is your faith Jesus and 
something. And, uh, Jesus and religion. Jesus and a person. Jesus and an event. It's got to be something more than Christ or is your relationship a Jesus alone relationship? Remember what Jesus said in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, hate his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's not a higher level of Christianity, disciple. A disciple is just another name for a Christian, a follower, a learner of Christ. In fact, it is Luke who has said that the Christians were... The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. He's using those terms synonymously. He's saying basically your commitment to Christ comes first. He's saying that it's higher than any other commitment. That he is your satisfaction. That he is what we sang before. You're all in what? All. In order to grow to be a healthy Christian, there's a need for you to cut out things that are distracting from Christ. It could be non-biblical preferences. It's different for every person. It could be some freedoms. It could be time wasters that God does not require in his word. Healthy Christians are willing to abandon anything except Christ and what he commands. Healthy Christians are never fully satisfied with their growth, but they are content with Christ as their first love. And a healthy church keeps things simple enough for believers to focus on Christ and not other people or things or to be distracted, even good things, for the only way for you to stay healthy is to keep your heart focused on the sufficiency of Christ. Again, one more time, we sang, you are my life, you are my all, you are my reason, you're my hope, my, my passion, my, Jesus, my all in all. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Is the Lord enough for you? Or are you trying to fill the hole in your heart with something else? It could be a spouse. It could be children. It could be parents. It could be an event. It could be a sport. It could be anything. But whatever challenges his first place in your life needs to be put in second place. He is your all in all. The sufficiency of Christ is absolutely essential for every Christian here to remain healthy in Christ. Number two in your outline. What else do you need to grow healthy? Take full responsibility for all your sin. Take full responsibility for all your sin. Never forget, all your issues, all your problems, all your hurts, all your struggles are the result of sin. Sin is the disease that robs you of your spiritual health. The great physician actually brought you back from life. Sin had killed you, and now he awakened you, he rose you from the dead, and now he wants to help you to get over the effects of this Sin disease. He wants you to get over the symptoms of this sin disease. And that requires a couple of things from you. That you admit your sin. That you turn from your sin. And that you get help with your struggle with sin. You know, what do we do normally? Now, look, would you admit it? Would you please admit it? That we don't like, generally speaking, admitting our sin. Isn't that true? Uh, you know, understand, we love to hide from our responsibility to sin, and we love to blame others for our sin. Do we not, husbands and wives? Yeah. We actually learn to hide and blame in the garden of Eden. What's the first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned? They hid. What's the second thing they did when Adam was confronted? He blamed. He didn't blame Eve. He blamed God, the woman you gave me. Then when Eve was confronted, she said it was the serpent. The serpent did it. And then when, you know, confronted the serpent, what did the serpent say? I don't know what the serpent said. Understand, 
since the first sin, you and I have been hiding from God and blaming others for our sin. That is why. That is not something that's new. It is so popular today to be the victim. It's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. Today it's vogue to say your bad behavior, your sin is the fault of your parents, your environment, your upbringing, your race, your family, your history, your circumstances, your economic status. Now understand, I want to say this with compassion, there are some horrific situations where one is literally forced into sin to some measure and that person is a victim. I'm not talking about those. I'm not addressing those. I'm addressing the other 99% where it involves your choice. Your choice. Look what 1 John 1, 8 and 10 says. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar and his word is what? It's not in us. In other words, translated, if you say it's not me, you're not his. Write that down. If you say it's not me, then you're not his. Non-sinners are non-Christians. Every Christian here would admit right now that they're a sinner. Everyone. I had a shocking conversation with a relative. I think I've shared this with you before. We were talking at Christmas time about how Jesus came to save us from our sins. She looked up at me and she said, right into my eyes, she said, I've never sinned. And no kidding, my mouth dropped open and I was in absolute shock. I didn't notice how to respond for about 10 seconds because I know this lady. <laughs> she, was, she would basically make people who are mercy driven give her money even though she had $300,000 in the bank. She gossiped like she was on a soap opera. Uh, she was horrific. She lied. She cheated. She stole. We would go to a restaurant with her and have to stop her from stealing the salt and pepper shakers and put them in her purse. Yet she really believed, I never sinned. I never sinned. God's word says something different, doesn't it? Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, not even, how many? No, not one. And then if you're blaming God or blaming other people, James says, don't do it. James 1, 13 and 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Don't blame God, for God can't be tempted by evil, for he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one's tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, his own desires. It's your fault when you sin. The Bible says don't blame God. You're at fault. When you blame someone or your circumstances, ultimately you're blaming your sovereign God who controls all relationships and all circumstances. You're blaming him for your sin. James says whenever you choose to sin, you alone are the one to blame. And whenever you do not take full responsibility for your sin, you're clogging up the work of God in your life. At that point, and until you deal with your sin, if you're a Christian, you are no longer walking in the Spirit, but you are in the flesh. So what should you and I do? Three things, they're obvious, they're from the Scripture, let's look at them. First is confession. Confession. When you first became a Christian, you confessed your sin. You said to God, I am responsible for my sin. You told Him that. And if you are genuinely saved, you will continue to do that. To confess means to agree with God. To agree that you're responsible and he's not. To see eye and eye with him on his opinion of your sin. 
and your sin is your fault. Genuine Christians continue that, as, and they say and admit the awfulness of their own sin. They take responsibility for their own sin, and they don't blame others for their own sin. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. You won't call sin an accident. You don't call it a defect, an error, a weakness. You call it what God calls it, an abomination, a choice, a sick, willful decision. You won't be a broad confessor either. Sorry for all my sin. You'll say a special confession, saying, Lord, forgive me for my lack of gratitude, my harsh words this morning, my lack of giving, whatever it is. Verse 9 continues in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is what? faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John says, when we confess our sins, God gives us a fresh new start. That's what he's talking about there. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. It's a fresh new beginning in our walk with him. And it's crucial to the health of any Christian. No one can remain spiritually healthy who does not agree with God, confess about the sin in their life. But it is not enough just to agree that you're a sinner. The Bible takes it a step further and says repentance, repentance, and repentance. Remember the words of Jesus when he forgave the woman who was caught in adultery? Here she is lying face down in the dirt, broken, naked, and repentant. Jesus sees into her sorrowful, repentant heart and says, I don't condemn you, but go and what? Sin no more. Jesus says this pattern of adultery, lady, has got to stop. And if you're truly repentant, it will stop. He's saying this, I forgive your sin, but prove you're deeply repentant by being willing to forsake this behavior by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11 describes repentance. Look at how it describes it. This godly sorrow has produced in you what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, you hate sin. What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. This morning, just imagine for a minute, and of course no one's ever late here, So, but someone coming in late, and they're walking up the steps here, and they go up here, and instead of going up the aisle way, they determine they want to go up the, the actual seats. So they're going up and stepping up the seats, and they're walking all the way to the back because they want to be where the junior hires are in the back and the junior high staff. They want to sit with them. This guy weighs 250 pounds, and as he walks up the steps, he's stepping on your feet, and he's stepping on your hands as you're sitting there, stepping on, you know, kind of your side or whatever, and every time he does it, you're going, ow, and he goes, sorry, and he steps another one, ow, now, and this is 250 pounds, this is a big deal, you know, steps on your hand, ow, oh, sorry, and all the way, every step of the way, he says, sorry, 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 listen, do you believe the sincerity of his apology, yes or no? No. You know those guys that go down the, the plane, you know, the aisle way, and they've got like 15 bags that they're not supposed to bring on board, and every guy that they go by, they're bashing in the head, and they're going, sorry, sorry, sorry. People are just, just totally disheveled. You don't believe him, do you? You shouldn't believe him, and yet, should the Lord believe you that if every day you're going back the same day, same time, over the same sin, saying, sorry, 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 sorry. Repentance is meaning that you're going to take some steps. Repentance means that you've changed your mind, which will lead to a change of behavior. And therefore, if you commit intentional sin and you keep saying, sorry, 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 it means you don't mean it. Confession isn't enough. You need to go 
and sin no more. Otherwise, you're clogging the work of God in your life. Confess, repent, and if you can't seem to break that bondage to sin, and again, we're all challenged with sin bents and issues that keep coming up over and over again. This is a war, people. We're in it together, okay? There's no one here that's not battling if you're a believer. But take the next step, which is accountability. Accountability. In a healthy church, Christians are free to admit their sin to one another. They're, they're, they're not opening your entire dirty closet for everyone to see. But asking a few godly friends to help you overcome certain sins with prayer and accountability. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Godly friends can do a lot to help you. Can they not? Yes or no? Yes, they can. Speaking of sin, even Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, in the context of sin, he says, Bear one another's burdens. Let's help each other in this battle with sin. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. Your spiritual health begins by taking full responsibility for sin. Listen, I can't be responsible right now for the wind. Okay? I can't be responsible if all of the equipment blows away. Just, just be up there and ignore it. Okay? But you can be responsible for your sin. Right? You can be. Uh, not blaming, not rationalizing, not saying it's someone else's problem, but, or I'm a victim, but saying it's my problem. I must turn from it. And if I don't see change, I'm going to get help. Listen, mega churches don't do this. Church growth churches do this. And phony churches don't do this. But a healthy church will expose sin. A healthy church will talk about how, over, how to overcome sin. A healthy church, and again, sin is not exactly a fun topic, will warn about the consequences of sin. A healthy church will encourage Christians to deal with sin and learn to confess sin to each other. And healthy Christians confess they learn to repent, and they learn to get help with their sin. They're in the work. They're in the battle dealing with holiness and sin. So you say, well, how else can I remain healthy? Well, then turn your outline over. Number three in your outline, depend on the Holy Spirit to live your Christian life. Depend on the Holy Spirit to live your Christian life. You, you can't remain healthy as a Christian through a routine. You're called as a Christian to be in a relationship. A relationship. And when you try to fix what is needed in the church with a program, a conference, an event, a facility, you and I will eventually get sick. But spiritual health only comes when we depend upon the Holy Spirit of God. When we depend on Him. When we remain healthy, when we yield, when we submit to, when we walk with, when we're controlled by, when we're dependent upon the Spirit of God to empower us, to live through us, and to change us and transform us. The Christian life is impossible, friends. It is only God who glorifies God. He does that through you, through the Spirit of God. It is Jesus Christ who lives through you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is through the Spirit of God. We are to be dependent upon the Spirit of God. In fact, it is so powerful, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, God says, continually, habitually walk. That's what he's talking about. Walk is a lifestyle walking the conduct of your life by the Spirit. Let your lifestyle be by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the what? Flesh, your strength, and those you know, sin residuum that remains in you. You will, will not live out the fruit of the flesh when you walk by the Spirit. Have you ever struggled with some of the, the, the flesh sins that are listed in Galatians 5.19? Take a look at it. 
immorality, impurity, sensuality, living more for things rather than God, tempted to follow a horoscope, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, that never happens, fighting with others, wanting what others have, getting drunk, going to sinful parties, and other things that are spiritually unhealthy, then if you're struggling with any of those, walk by the Spirit, and you won't have to live according to the flesh. You see, a healthy Christians don't say, I can't obey. Healthy Christians admit they can obey. They can obey. The Bible tells you can't obey. Theologically, a true Christian can't say, I can't live for Christ. But what they're actually saying when they say, I can't live for Christ, is if they're a Christian, I won't live for Christ. That's what they're saying. Because the Bible says you can. So how does the Spirit strengthen me? answer is when we depend on Him. When we put our hand in His hand and we exercise our will to step in obedience to the Word of God, understand when you become a Christian, you were indwelt with the third person of the Trinity, and that third person is the person of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, excuse me, 3.16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's an incredible thought. And dependence upon the Spirit results in spiritual health. Just like a car depends on gas to run, just like you depend on food to be nourished, just like you depend on water to be washed, we depend as Christians on the Spirit to live the Christian life and to be healthy. Just as God himself said in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. So how do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Well, he is the Spirit of truth, therefore we live according to the truth of God's Word. He's the Holy Spirit, so we live holy, admitting and turning from and getting help with our sin. Since He is God, we submit to Him in prayer, asking for His help, seeking His wisdom, trusting His leading. And that's why the Bible challenges us, actually commands us, in Ephesians 5.18, don't drink drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be under the control of the Spirit of God. It's a command. This is not an option. You are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's also present tense, which means it's ongoing, continual, 24-7. In every aspect of your life, the most boring, the name things, you are to be filled with the Spirit. Every aspect, 24-7. It's also plural, which means all of you, the whole church, every single one who's born again is to be filled with the Spirit, and then it's passive. Passive is the remarkable element of that particular verb, and it means basically that you can't order the Spirit around, that you need to be willing to be filled with the Spirit, but you don't tell Him what to do. He fills you as you receive Him, as you depend upon Him, as you yield to Him and rely on Him. He will then work through you. And the Bible warns you that you will grieve the Holy Spirit if you don't deal with your sin, with your choices to sin. You will also quench the Spirit by your choice to not obey His Word, so you need to make sure there's no remaining sin in your life. It's one of the reasons why we partake in communion every week is to deal with our own sinfulness, our own heart before the Lord, and make sure we always remember what Christ has done for us. And then when you depend on the Spirit of God, the great thing is He, depend, he produces fruit in your life. It's one of the expectations that we have as a church. We expect Christians to treat each other as if they're filled with the Spirit. We do. And it's the answer to all your needs. You came today with maybe a trial, a burden, a relationship issue. Listen, it is the filling of the Spirit which is going to answer that. You want a sweeter marriage? Just be filled with the Spirit. You want better relationship with your kids? Be filled with the Spirit. It is the answer. Think of a problem and see how the fruit of the Spirit will answer it. I've just come up with some problems. I can't get along with this guy. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
I, I mean, I, I'm so sad all the time. I'm depressed. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I'm really worried about the fruit of the Spirit is peace. I'm going to keep losing my temper. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. Well, I, I treat them badly because the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. I just want to hurt them. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. I'll never get back with my ex. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. I can't help but hit them. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. I can't stop eating and vomiting. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Listen, friends, you don't need psychoanalysis to get spiritually healthy. You don't need to cast out some sort of demons of depression in your life. You don't need to dig up your past resentment against your parents. You don't need to visualize yourself without the problem. You don't need to help your children have better self-esteem. None of that. You need to be filled with the Spirit. No human technique can make you spiritually healthy. No human technique. Anything not of the Spirit is fleshly, worldly, sinful, and temporal. And any change that you try to make without the Spirit of God motivating it and empowering it will be in not be internal transformation. It'll be mere external conformity. Conformation. All you need is for the Spirit to fill you and live through you. Don't miss the obvious. These are obvious truths, but we drift away from them so often. Are you trusting in the sufficiency of Christ? Are you taking full responsibility for your sin? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit to live your life for Christ? Number four, how else do we remain healthy? Number four, follow the Scripture to live God's will. Follow the Scripture to live God's will. The Word of God is the medicine needed to live healthily. The Bible's our spiritual food, right? And you get sick if you start not eating. <laughs> if you're not feeding yourself, you're going to get sick. You say, well, I just need fellowship. You're going to get sick. You need the Word. You need the food. Christians become unwell when they you know, take Bible preaching for granted. Christians get sick when they don't apply the word as a doer of the word. Churches get in trouble when they begin to focus on programs over the principles of God's word. Can you imagine reading just a part of the prescription of your medicine bottle? That's like a Christian who ignores the word. It's deadly, very much linked to the work of the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's a fruit that comes from that. And when you're filled with the Word, when it says in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, and you're dwelling on the Word of God, the exact same fruit of being filled with the Spirit comes out of you. It's with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's amazing being filled with the Spirit and being filled and saturated with God's Word, what that will do. How does God keep you then healthy? Filling your mind with his word. So it, the word, becomes our guide. It becomes our food. It becomes our medicine. It becomes our light for every problem, our direction for every decision. As Psalm 119, 105, look at it. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my what? My whole life is pathed out by God's word. The Bible through His Spirit is God's change agent. Jesus said this so well in His prayer in John 17, 17. Sanctify them. Change them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. He changes us through His Word. How does the Bible get into your life in order for you to be spiritually healthy and live that way? Regular hearing of the Word. Regular listening to the Word. Reading the Word. Studying the Word. Memorizing the Word. 
Are you memorizing the word? Meditating on the word. When you do, the word becomes second nature. You start thinking Bible. As Spurgeon said, and he said it so well, when somebody cuts you, you bleed Bible. You'll begin to act more like Christ since God's word is God's will. You'll be healthy. But understand this. Understand this. It's not ideas about God that keep you healthy. It's not seminars that quote a few Bible verses that keep you pure. It's not the lightweight, fun talk, table talk sermons around the Bible that bring godly change. It's not a thought for the day that will keep you spiritually strong. It's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, where God's Word is interpreted correctly, clearly understood, and obediently applied, trying to understand the author's intended meaning. Letting the Bible speak for itself. Don't miss the obvious about God's Word. Churches and Christians, you, who remain healthy, are those who focus on teaching, they focus on learning God's Word, and they focus on applying all the truths of the Scripture, not just the ones they like. And a final attribute of the spiritually healthy heart is number five in your outline, Function as a living member of a local church. Function as a living member of a local church. Amazingly, when you're battling a disease, it's always nice to know that somebody else who's battling that disease is battling it with you, right? You've got a companion in the hospital, so to speak. When you're trying to lose weight, isn't it better to have somebody who's trying to lose weight with you? Anybody with me on that? Sure. When you're trying to win a team sport, it's always easier when you're always working together. Well, as a healthy Christian functions as a living member in a local church, the way God describes, that's when you grow. That's when you remain healthy. This is not a place that you attend on Sunday. This is a people that you're worshiping a Savior with. A people. This is not a facility, but, but people closer than friends that you're roped to like mountain climbers for survival. This is totally contrary to our culture. Our culture is independent. Our culture is isolationistic. COVID made it even 20 times worse. But we, as God's people, are to be interrelated, interconnected. It's not a club, but Christ followers who need each other, like a kidney needs a body to remain alive. Imagine your kidney outside your body. How long is it going to survive? Not long. That's you, independent of the body of Christ. Like sheep that needs a flock in order to not be picked off by the wolves. Like a building that needs every brick to remain strong against the enemy. You need the body of Christ. More than just attendance. You need to be interrelated. Christians who are inconsistent in their attendance. Who don't give. Who don't treat the church as their family. Who refuse to join a ministry. Who, who don't build up one another in close relationships. They're going to stay weak. They're never going to be all that God intended them to be. It just isn't going to happen. Because the New Testament designed the church to be interrelated, interconnected to one another. You read your New Testament epistles and you see the word you and you think God's speaking to you. And more times than not, nine times out of ten in the New Testament epistles, when he says you, it's actually you all. It's plural. He's saying you as a church do this. You fight these things together. 
You pray for these things together. You together. It is a community of people. We live in a culture where you drive into your garage and the garage door shuts and you don't interact with anybody. And that's exactly the opposite of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul said it so well in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's all of us, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each what? Individual part. That's you. When you're functioning correctly, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. One version translates that. When each part works as it should, the whole body grows. God says interdependent relationships in a Christian community is where each person ministers their gift to the entire body, causing the growth of everyone together. The interconnectedness and service to this church cause all of us to grow healthy. God designed all of us to mature together in community. In community. When we all do our part, all of us grow. When any one of us fails to do our part, we stifle the growth that God intended for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a what? You're a part of it. That's part of the reason many of you were not spiritually healthy for long periods of time because you were a part of a church where walking obedience to the word, becoming like Christ, and inner relationships in the church body was not a passion, it wasn't a priority, and therefore your growth was hindered because the word wasn't taught, people were not in the spirit, they weren't discipling each other, they weren't admitting sin, they weren't in inner relationship, they weren't trying to do the one another's, they weren't trying to love each other, and, but they were relying on programs and other things, and your growth was hindered because you were a part of that community. All of us here could return to that condition if we don't all choose to become fully functioning parts of the church body. Not an organization, not a sports team, not your favorite parachurch group. According to the Bible, those are all extra. God commands you. He commands you repeatedly in the New Testament that each of us to use our giftedness and service to the local church body. Look what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one, that's you, has received a special gift you have at salvation... Employ it in what? Serving one another. Why? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, he goes on to say that we're all going to grow together. At FBC, you need to understand this. We love it when people join us, especially people who've come from churches where they feel beat up. We love it, and we want you to be here. We want you to be here to sit under God's word, to be loved by God's people. We actually are committed to that. We want you to be here for six months. Don't do a thing. Don't do a thing. Just be loved by God's people. Be loved by God's word. Be saturated in his word and let your heart heal. We believe in that. We want you as new people to check us out. If you're new with us, that's great. We love it. We love the fact that you're here. But here's the question. If you are committed to remaining a spectator for the rest of your life, this is not the church to belong to. Do you understand that? We want you to be loved. We want you to be interrelated. We want you to be ministered to. Hey, take as long as you need. But at some point, you got to get out of the hospital bed. And if you're going to function according to the word of God, you're going to interrelate with God's people. You're going to be counterculture people. And I know for some of you, that's freaking scary. But you know what? Christians, at least at our church, they don't bite too bad. Sometimes they'll nibble at you. 
but they don't really bite too bad. They actually want what's best for you. And we want all of us to grow to be like Christ. And all of us esteem one another as being uniquely gifted and different. Every single one of you who's a Christian can put Christ on display in a way that the rest of us can't. You're unique in the way that you can put him on display. It's your giftedness. And we want to esteem that and affirm that. And we're looking for that because when we all do it, then we all see more of who? Who? Christ himself. And that's what brings him glory. People, you, we have got to think community. We have got to remain a community. And you have got to see that in your own heart of hearts because it's the normal expectation of a Christian to be involved in a community of Christians. So as we close, if you're visiting today, please don't be scared away. But understand, we want to thank you for coming. But if you've made FBC your church home, act on today's truth and go after these five things. See them listed there, the five G's there? Gift. God has gifted you, start using it. We want to see Jesus through you. So start serving in a way, and God's people will direct you to faithfully give yourself away out of service, out of love for Christ and obedience to his word. Give. You know, God's given you resources. Invest his purposes. FBC is not a wealthy church. We're just filled with people who are faithful, sacrificial givers. Be a faithful steward of your resources. And that, that's just a normal expectation of, of Christianity. Group. Uh, we're a very, very small church to those who are plugged in. If you're connected to a community group or a ministry, you've got your community. You've got your people that you love and are loyal to, and, and there's a wonderful community that you can be a part of. That's what the early church did. They gathered together on Sunday morning, and then they met house to house throughout the week. Greet is another challenge, and that those of you who are family need to intensify your greeting and getting to know new folks. I, somebody told me yesterday, I just can't stand another goodbye, you know? The Powells are leaving, the Burnhams are leaving, you know, these people are leaving, it's horrible. Listen, how about some new hellos? How about you build some new relationships with people and become friends with them and, and begin to invest into each other's lives? That's what God has called us to. It's never going to be that until we get to heaven, where we get to be there forever in perfection. And the gospel, make sure you've got a heart of a born-again believer. You say, what's the heart of a born-again believer? That you want to serve. You want to give faithfully. You want to be interconnected to God's people. You want to be dependent upon the Spirit. You want to love the stranger, and you want to share the gospel. Let that be a challenge to you. If you're a little bit more mature, here's your challenge. Disciple. Have that intentional relationship for the purpose of growth and the gospel. Have that relationship with others where you're working hard in each other's lives to cause each of you to grow to be more like Christ. Take your faith seriously and go after stuff. Develop more character. Deal with more sin. Doctrine, the other challenge. Uphold and instruct others. You say, why doctrine? Listen, what is theology? It's the study of God. What are we saying when we say doctrine? We're saying give people a proper view of God. Help people to understand the Lord that they love. Let them see Him through you and hear your sharing of what he is revealed in the scripture and then direct don't, don't just tell them where to go lead them uh, grab them by the hand and show them where to go help other people and be that mature saint who's helping not not pointing out error but but actually coming alongside and helping younger ones to grow to be more like christ and if you're here today and you're not in christ there's only one challenge for you turn to christ can i hear an amen to that listen you need christ there are a lot of people who think they're Christians because they prayed a prayer once and, you know, they kind of went through that thing. But there's no sense of change in their heart. Uh, you know, they say, well, I prayed and, and he's covered me in his righteousness. Yeah, but if he has, he's also regenerated you, which means he gave you a new heart that wants to follow him, a, a new heart that wants to please him. 
It's not a perfect heart. You, you're going to mess up and whatever, but he's going he's to work in your heart to cause you and to move you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And if that's not your heart, you need to understand that you're in a very, very scary place with God. God is angry with your sin. Your sin has to be judged. And if your son isn't judged on Christ and his righteousness covering you, then you're going to be in eternal torment forever. You need to cry, cry out to him to give you a new heart. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of peace. It's a heart where all his sufficiency is now made available to you. It's a heart that gives you confidence to walk through this life knowing that he's in control. It's a heart that knows that you've got an eternal home in heaven. You need that heart. So would you cry out to Jesus Christ? Because we need these basics in our life. Can I hear an amen to that? We need to be those who are saturated in the word, filled with the spirit, sufficient in Christ, dealing with our own sin and integrated into the local church. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that today you would be glorified by our response to your word. It's not so much that we sang songs, Lord, but it's that you are working in our hearts to change us, to make us to be more like your son. And so we pray that our worship would be acceptable, that we're actually offering our lives to you and every element of our lives so that you would be pleased. Father, help us to be those people who are truly walking with you and making sure that our hearts are still on fire and in tune with your word and with your truth and with your spirit. And Father, if there are any here who don't know you, would you please draw them to yourself, awaken them, help them to see their sinfulness so that they would turn to you, that they'd stop messing around with kind of a superficial, self-made Christianity, and that they would actually follow the Christ of the Bible. And Father, we pray that you would save them as only you can and that you would awaken them and give them new eyes to see so they could walk with you. Thank you again for this beautiful day. Thanks for the wind that's cooled the heat. And thank you, Father, for a time that we could actually celebrate you through praise, through prayer, and now in praise again for all that you've done. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.